Hi, this is Tom Perry, and thank you for joining us for another Merida College podcast. This time, we are going to talk about the 50th anniversary of Title IX and the impact this landmark legislation had on Merida College athletics. We're calling it Leveling the Playing Field. By listening, you will learn about some of the early struggles, as well as hear from some of the champions for Title IX, and also those who today provide Merida College's women athletes with a first-class experience. When the Title IX legislation was passed in June 1972, no one at Merida College was really paying attention. Probably a better way to explain it is no one was taking any action. It wasn't until the 1974-1975 season when women's varsity athletics actually started with women's basketball. That first team featured 16 players and was coached by Viola Clare. However, we need to go back to before Title IX was passed into legislation in 1972. Back to when women who wanted to compete in sports did so through their sorority or organized day trips to nearby colleges and universities to play field hockey or basketball. Janet Chase, a 1974 graduate who went on to coach local sports in the Washington County area, remembers this early era fondly before Title IX passed and at the very beginning of Title IX. Well, of course, we had volleyball, basketball, um, and quite frankly, you know, and I think that was it. We didn't have flag football like the fellows did. So, you know, but we do, it seems like we took, and I can't remember the nights we played and whatever, but it seemed like it, it stretched over, of course, the winter, the winter months and so forth. And see, even at that, two intramurals, but it was fine for us. It, it, it kept us moving. It, it was a distraction from having to study, you know, was, you know, get your mind off some things and so forth. And it was, that again, that camaraderie amongst all the f- sororities. So, no, I, I, but, and I, 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 can't, I didn't miss it. I mean, I, we had a great program here at Marietta as far as academics. Uh, we were competitive in our intramurals as much as we were in our intercollegiate. Again, I, I can uh, thank Marietta and their staff and the, the institution for everything. I don't think they denied us anything because of we were women and they didn't want to uh, provide. Perhaps if we had pursued, okay, we want a women's crew or we want this, that, the other, how they would have responded, I don't know. Tina Thomas, class of 1978, played basketball and field hockey after transferring to Marietta her sophomore year. She was a vocal supporter of Title IX as a student at Marietta High School, and her passion for sports continued as a pioneer. It was, we're getting the chance. We'll make do with what we have, because we've been making do with what we had. Fancy uniforms, sure, they look cool. If they were new shirts, wow, that was really great, but they were usually the hand-me-downs. We'd rent the vans or whatever and have to drive them to the games, whereas the other teams might be taking coaches. It's the fact that you were out there playing. And nobody was pushing for everything to be equal right away. We wanted the opportunity, and we got the opportunity. And the people, the girls, the, the women that were out there playing truly loved sports. They loved competing. Janet Chase, a 1974 graduate, enjoyed competing in youth and high school sports while growing up in New Jersey. However, when she decided to attend Merida College, playing sports did not factor into her decision. She was a member of the 1973-74 women's basketball team, which wasn't considered a varsity sport, but the yearbook described the team as follows, quote, 
Though the women's basketball team has been around for three years, this has been the first year the team has really gotten off the ground with a faculty coach and home games in Ben Johnson. Had they had the experience, the team might have won more games. Next year will definitely be a winning season for women's basketball, end quote. Uh, you know, here we were in Little Marietta, which coming from New Jersey uh, and the New York area, things were a little more compact. <laughs> But that was fine. That was fine. I loved uh, uh, Marietta in all my years here. Uh, I had played field hockey in high school, and so when I came, I was glad that they had field hockey. But basically, that's about it. Because uh, as I reviewed my yearbooks this morning, I was going over, okay, now what else did we have? And you go through the men's, you know, football and basketball and cross country. And there was even lacrosse that started up um, and crew, of course, and baseball, field hockey. Now, one year we did play... Uh, We did play, it was my senior year, basketball. Uh, it was our RA, who was the coach. Um, and, you know, it's not even mentioned in here. You know, they had down, okay, wrestling and their record, football, cross-country, basketball, all their records. Is there a record for basketball? Uh-uh. Field hockey was another sport that married a sponsor for women, and they had been competing against teams from around Ohio since 1966. While field hockey is the first women's athletic team at the college, it didn't become a varsity sport until after basketball. Field hockey's final season at Marietta was in 1985, but as Tina Thomas, class of 1978, recalls, the field hockey team was a great avenue for women to compete, and they enjoyed modest success, including victories over Ohio State and Ohio University. For certain sports, truly impactful. For field hockey, field hockey was an East Coast sport. We don't have field hockey in the high schools around this area. I officiated field hockey and had to go to Columbus even as recent as the early 2000s because there weren't teams around here. So when I get like a Kathy Maza or a Kathy Daly or, or Donna Murphy or whoever coming here, they gave us the core of the team that we needed with skill sets. First field hockey team, field hockey game I'd played in was the first one I had ever seen. I got recruited to play field hockey because I was a basketball player and we needed another player. That's when I was at another school. It was a natural transition. Field hockey and soccer are so similar. So having all of those students here from the East Coast that were used to competing either with the private schools they'd gone to, some of their public schools, pretty high level, New Jersey, um, New Hampshire, Maryland, uh, really helped develop our team quickly at the level we needed to compete. Otherwise, we were competing with the, the GAA. But you, you think about the colleges we were playing, it was all the big schools around this area, the ones that were within close proximity. Well, that's Ohio University, Ohio State, um, Wooster, Capitol, Denison, schools that probably had bigger budgets, bigger development programs, but we were still playing against them. It wasn't until the 1974-75 academic year, more than two years after Title IX was passed, that it became clear that women's athletics was starting to be recognized on campus. The women's basketball team became the first women's varsity team, and it featured 15 players, including two future Merida College Athletic Hall of Fame selections, one being coached by LeClaire, the other was a player, Leslie Robinson. The squad enjoyed a great deal of success as the Pioneers went 9-4 and, and earned a spot in the Ohio State Women's Basketball Tournament. Pioneer spirit is the only way to describe what happened. 
we were out there doing what we loved doing. Leslie Robinson was my co-captain teammate on basketball. She probably could have played at any school. In fact, I think she had played in Louisiana, but I'm not uh, positive or might have that might have been her other option. She was a phenomenal basketball player. I think she shot 900 points or somewhere in that range. Truly a pioneer driving for basketball because that's what she loved. She played competitive basketball wherever she came from. Donna Murphy, um, true athlete. She loved hockey. She loved basketball. I think she rode crew. Um, Carolyn Miller played all these sports. They came from the East Coast. They came here to play sports. They were active in everything. We Three more women's varsity sports were added in the 1970s, volleyball in 1975, tennis in 1976, and rowing in 1977. An outlier is field hockey, as its origins date back to 1966, but it is unclear when it was officially added as a varsity sport. However, it is clear when it was eliminated from the athletic offerings. That was after the 1985 season. In a February 27, 1977 article in the Marcolian titled Women's Athletics, Situation Getting Better Every Year, it was the first year the college allocated appropriate funding for women's sports instead of using the women's physical education budget to support volleyball, basketball, and field hockey. In that same article, Vi LeClaire, the director of women's athletics, is asked if she feels the women are being discriminated against. Her answer, quote, yes, there is some slight discrimination, end quote. She goes on to say, quote, for a long time, people around here didn't seem to realize that the needs of the women athletes were the same of those of the male athletes, end quote. While it was before she arrived at Marietta College, former coach and athletic director Debbie Lazoric was more than familiar with the challenges of women's athletics in the early days of Title IX, especially on small campuses like Marietta. Well, the, we were governed, and this is back in the 70s, um, we were governed by the Association of Intercollegiate Athletics for Women, AIAW, was our governing. So when I was coaching even at St. Francis, we went through the AIW, and it was organized through your states, similar to what you would see at high school now, interscholastic sports. You know, you went to a state championship. You, there were no conferences for women. You played the schools that were in a geographic area. So back then, like you said, when they started women's sports at St. Francis, my senior, which was one of the thrilling, you talk about the experience, here we are going to Northwestern. We're playing Northwestern University. We're playing DePaul University. Little St. Francis, in their first year, are playing these major schools, and we could compete with them. Now, at the same time, we were going down the road to play North Central, which we would recognize today you know, as part of Division Three. There were no divisions. But they did separate big school, small school in terms of championships because there were national championships. Four more varsity sports were added in the 1980s. Softball in 1980, cross country in 1981, soccer in 1987, and track and field in 1987 as well. However, like field hockey, cross country was disbanded in 1989 and track in 1990. Of course, both of those were restarted in 2002. While it took early advocates like LeClaire, Ruth Ramonis, and Mary Jo Herdman, it wasn't until the arrival of Debbie Lazoric in 1980 and Jean Arbuckle in 1987 that women's athletics really began to prosper at Marietta College. And then I came to Marietta, continued to be governed by the ADA, and Vi was very involved. That was another thing I learned from Vi. She was active in the state organization of AIAW. Um, we went, I'll never forget, this was in volleyball. We went to Capital University to play in the state champion, and we played Ohio State. Now, we couldn't 
stay on the floor with them, but nonetheless, that was the structure. You didn't qualify. Once again, there's no conferences. There was no qualification. You all went to the similar to high school. You all start out, right, going to a level of, and then you work your way to that state championship. Um, And then... We did the same thing in bed, and you traveled all, oh, oh my gosh, you got in a van, and on a weekday, you played whoever would play. We played a lot of the West Virginia schools, West Virginia Tech. We played Wheeling. We played all those West Bethany, um, West WVU, their JV team we played um, because they were close. And there was no rhyme or reason. You just played the schools who would play with play you, and the ones that were closer you tried to do, and you probably played, I'm looking back, probably 18 to 20 games. You had to make your own schedule. You know, nobody was doing any of this uh, for you. You had no assistance. You had no assistance. You had no SID support, no statistical support, um, no managing support in terms of lawn, you know, uniforms, um, all of that. And I'd say welcome to Division Three. And for women, you'd had to do it all, which I thought was the best training moving forward my almost 40-year career. Um, it was the best training I probably could have ever had because we had to do everything. There was nobody there to do it for you. Now listen to some thoughts from Jeannie Arbuckle on her early days at Marietta College. Well, when I was hired at the time, I was the head coach of volleyball and softball with no assistance. And And even though that sounds terrible, that was a step forward for Marietta College because prior to that, Debbie Lazoric was coaching like three sports and, you know, with no assistance. And so the the addition of my position was a step in the right direction. And uh, as you said, there were a number of schools then where coaches were dual head coaches. I mean, it was happening at Baldwin-Wallace, Mount Union. Ohio Northern, uh, certainly here at Marietta, uh, I think Otterbein. So that was fairly common. Uh, The challenge for me with coaching that combination was that I I could not really recruit. You know, volleyball recruiting would be taking place in the spring when club volleyball was playing and I was coaching softball. So that combination was, uh, was a little bit challenging. And what I ended up doing was to recruit two sport athletes. So I had a number of kids in those early years that played both volleyball and uh, softball and a handful that played basketball and softball. But over time, that model started to kind of fade away and uh, coaches were shifting to just focusing on one sport. Today, any college coach understands that recruiting student athletes is an important part of their job. But in the 1970s and 1980s, many of the women's teams were formed using students who were already enrolled at Marietta. Yeah, I mean, early on, there just wasn't the same emphasis on recruiting. In fact, when I actually first started coaching college at Allegheny, um, mostly you filled your roster with women who had decided to come to, Mar- or come to Allegheny and wanted to play volleyball. That I mean, that pretty much was it. And then it wasn't too long after that till the uh, importance of trying to be successful <laughs> came into play. And uh, then recruiting obviously started to become a, a big, big part of what you did. Debbie Lazoric was the first women's coach to actively recruit student athletes for their ability on the playing field. Some of her early recruits included Brenda Bradica, Kim Brown, Kathy Clark, 
Michelle Gagliardi, Janet Spence, and Lisa Wagner. The group that really started the interest and people started coming out, plus we started the foster family program, remember, so that obviously helped, was Brenda Perdicka, our first ever 1,000-point score, because Brenda was fun to watch. And so people started to come out, predict, and then you'd throw in Kim Brown was there. Kim Brown was one heck of an athlete, as you know. Um, so, but Brenda, that group, that class, that group, sort of took us over that line to say, we've got basketball players, not just young women who want to play. Because, you know, I will never forget those, you know, the Kathy Sutphins. And the, I mean, if it wasn't for them sticking it out to persevere through you know, nobody cares about you. You don't, you don't even get let, we have no system, no letters, no letter winners. You don't get any of that stuff. We'll give you a, a, a jacket that was powder blue or something. I don't, windbreaker. They gave out windbreakers if you stuck through the season. Um, so that early group persisted through, but then it was the Bradicas, you know, and that group, Megan, ha- I mean, I can think of their names and see them all care. And then Kathy's class, took us to that next level, which now we're competing for conference championship. And that was the what they call to this day the girlfriends group. Carrie Gilligan, uh, Kim Jones, Terry, you know, Kylene Cretet. Um, but Kathy elevated it to that next step. But really it was the Brenda Burdicka, I think, that, that people could look out there and say, whoa, we got some players. There was some media coverage in the Marcolian in the early days and the college yearbook made sure to include a team photo and possibly some action shots from the season starting in the late 1970s. However, Debbie Lazoric said the women's teams really noticed when the local newspaper, the Marietta Times, began covering games and writing feature stories on the players. The first reporter to provide this type of coverage was David Grandy, who was a sports reporter at the time. I was the first sports reporter in West Virginia to ever cover a girls' high school basketball game, and that was two years before I came here in 78. And uh, when I came here, and Billy G pretty much had Mary College wrapped up. Mm-hmm. Every now and then he let me go to a football game if he doesn't, or you know, a basketball game. But he was covering it every single time. And we started talking about the fact this is, you know, we ought to sit there and give the women some sh- play too. And he says, well, if you want to cover them, you can have that as a beat. Then, then Lazoric, I followed her, and I think I was there from Lazoric's first game throughout that her tenure. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and it was. Uh, I got to see some amazing people. I mean, you know, I saw undoubtedly the best women's shooting guard in the history of this school and probably the conference in Kathy Clark. And I had an opportunity to see her uh, because I had started covering girls' basketball, so I got up to see her her junior and senior year up there at Fort Fry and went like, oh my gosh, they got to lock this girl up. Kathy Clark Borich, who graduated in 1990, is still the all-time leading scorer in Ohio Athletic Conference history and was the first female athlete to earn All-American honors. She's arguably the greatest female athlete in the college's history. I believe that, you know, my time here, it was a very different time than it is now. And, you know, to come to sporting events at the college, um, specifically the basketball, it's a totally different environment um, than what it used to be. It's more in line with the environment of the men's. But, you know, I had, coming through, I felt as though... Coach Lazoric and even Coach Arbuckle, you know, they were very good about reminding us of what it was like. Yes, it was better for us, 
but it's even far better today for the female athletes than what it was when I played. But, you know, to hear them talk about, well, when we first started, you know, Coach Zork's office was, I think, in the Betsy Mills, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. It's like, whoa, <laughs> you know, and what they had to do just for their own team. I mean, it was like they were the coach. They were the manager. They were, <laughs> you know, they were everything where today that's just unheard of. I mean, although there are still a lot of Title IX struggles out there within the athletics, when you look at that time period to now, you know, and I think it's really important. I mean, it made me appreciate then what I had, you know, when I would hear them talk about it, you know, to know that, wow, you know, look at what they did. Look at what they went through to be able to get us to where we are today. And I guess that would probably be something I would think of with the female athletes today. Like, I think it's important for them to realize the history of that, that it has not always been the way it is. And there were a lot of struggles that we went through. Gene Arbuckle built on Lazoric's recruiting success and attracted top-notch talent like Leanne Shoemaker, Lisa Cromwell, Aaron Perry, Jen Chelton, Sarah Summer, Cindy Bolin, Sally Friend, Brandy Yellen, Candace Miller, Lindsay Romick, Kristen Quintana, and Emily McComb, to name a few. Well, I mean, it needed to happen because then that set in motion a lot of other good things happening. You know, it was recruiting became, recruiting was never easy, but recruiting was definitely easier after you had some success that you could show and that you could talk about and, you know, sort of brag about a little bit. Um, so it was it was really important in the overall development of the program. Coach Arbuckle's softball program thrived in the mid-1990s when the Pioneers won back-to-back regular season OAC championships in 1995 and 1996. And the 1996 squad won the OAC tournament and holds the distinction of being the first women's team in college history to earn a spot in the NCAA tournament. The softball program returned to the NCAA tournament in 2007 behind one of the strongest lineups in school history. It's so hard for me to say one is better than the other because they were both really in their own ways. They were both spectacular. And, um, you know, you get together that, that group from the early years and, you know, they'll, they'll tell you for sure, you know, we are, we were the best. And you get together with with Q and Lindsay Romick and Jenny Carroll and, and uh, Krista Huffman and on down the line, and they're going to tell you they were the very best. And really, I mean, they were in different eras, and they were both special. Coach Arbuckle acknowledges the huge impact Lazoric had on her career, as well as the entire athletic department during Debbie's 18-year run as the college's athletic director. Oh, you can't even quantify it. It was, uh, I don't know how many years she was the AD. I, 15, 16, 17, I don't know. But uh, she just had a way about looking at the big picture. And she was really good at connecting us with the rest of the college. It wasn't like athletics is over here in a silo and academics and student life are over here. I mean, she really built a bridge between those entities. And I think that was probably her hallmark was her ability to bring all these different players together uh, in ways that enhanced, you know, not only athletics, but the institution as a whole. So, I mean, you can't really quantify 
what she did for us. She was, I mean, just outstanding. There's no question about it. And one thing, and I remember mentioning this in my Hall of Fame remarks, that I learned, I didn't learn it right away, and it made my life very difficult as the athletics director. You don't work in a vacuum. I was sitting there trying to figure out all this stuff myself, and oh gosh, you're talking. Once you realize that working with others to solve problems, ultimately you're going to make the decision, right? But to bring in those other perspectives, that's how we can be most effective. Once I learned that and I could bring in, whether it's Coach Ali, Coach Arbuckle, the others that had experience that I needed to listen to because of what they brought to the table. Um, and Jean became, you know, Associate AD, and her perspective certainly helped because Jean, well, I said this in her Hall of Fame <laughs> remarks when I introduced her, Jean is the epitome of the teacher coach, and she kept that model all the way through. She comes out of an education background. She taught in the public schools as a physical educator. She was our last one. Mm -hmm. um, well, her and Doug Foote and Brian Brewer. Brian is a physical educator. And when I would go out and watch practices and things, I could tell you who came out of physical education backgrounds versus those who had a business degree or something. So um, I leaned on her for perspective. Um, she always, and the other thing that she brought to our department was the regard of people on campus. Women's Rowing was the next program to reach an NCAA event when the 1999 Women's Varsity Heavyweight 8, which was coached by Rachel McCauley, earned a spot in Sacramento, California. That was the first year of women's championships, and the Pioneers had to row against major Division I programs like the University of Washington and Princeton. Rowing for the Pioneers in the championship were Jessica Morcio, Katie Wilson, Elizabeth Wilson, Erica Gill, Carly Stabler, Susan Nerf, Sarah Shad, Mary Kunis, and Nicole Faccaretto. Women's rowing returned to the NCAA championships again in 2011 and 2012, this time competing against other Division III programs. One of the rowers in 2012 was current coach Abby Clicker Lord. I think as a student athlete, we'd talk all the time about making history. Um, that was one of our goals. That was something that we kind of joke about of like when we come back and we tell the stories about the Dadville Regatta and you know how the fish tails get bigger and bigger, we would joke about that. And it was something that we were working towards to be able to have those stories and to have that impact and to realize that like, yeah, we can we can create a legacy here. And that was definitely something that we talked a lot about. Uh, I don't think now I process it that way. Uh, I don't feel like we're that far out, but it's getting there. Um, so it's something that I think was really encouraging to us as athletes, realizing that like each, each phase and as, as you break new ground with a program, um, that kind of creates a marker that the program can build from in the future. It's actually hard to put into words the positive impact that Debbie and Jean had on women's athletics at Meredith College from 1980 through 2018, almost 40 years. Now there is a new era of coaches who recruit via text messages and social media, but each one of them appreciates and respects the battles that were fought and won before they arrived at Marietta. Listen to what Mallory Nadra, Marietta's women's lacrosse coach, has to say. She talked about, like, I don't even think they had practice gear. I think that they couldn't even get court time or field time, and that is mind-blowing. You know, where I'm at right now in the spring, I make the schedule, and the soccer coaches make it around me, you know, vice versa, you know, Coach Kagan and Coach Bergen make the schedule, you know. So those moments of just, like, things that I now realize I shouldn't take for granted, things that are just daily in our operations are things that took 
people fight and, and to get there and needed progress. So, you know, when she, you know, spoke as part of the women's speaker and, you know, and I tended, right, like a lot of things hearing her say that things that are just part of part of my recruiting spiel, a part of what I tell my athletes every day to be grateful for, um, just, you know, the stories written about us, the gear, the travel, like things that were not even in those players' minds when they were playing, um, those were big aha moments for me. And, and just as a professional and learning to take, you know, a big part of my culture is being grateful. Um, so now that even is more important after hearing what those players went through. And also, they were the women that got us to where we are today. So definitely a lot of aha moments and, and making me appreciate more of the things that we have. And here is softball coach Jen Castle. I really never thought about it very much, I would say, until later into my assistant coaching career. And I think that's a good thing and a bad thing. I think it's a good thing because I never had to deal with not having what male sports had or having, you know, or having a bad experience playing my sport. But I also think it's a bad thing because I feel like I was uneducated in a lot of aspects of it. And where there could have been some more things that I was doing to promote women and to promote our each individual sports, I feel I was lacking in that. Um, so, you know, that is something that I even hope that our student athletes gain from this is that education much earlier than I had awareness of it. So they could go on and continue this work and continue to grow. The next generation of amazingly talented athletes are women like Kelly Barnett, Ashley Bolt, Jess Brown, Jordan Pillay, Laura Pollins, Amisha Hurd, Brooke Borich, Alex Allen, Tiffany Kovacevic, Randy Robertson, Sheena Spencer, Chrissy Rowe, Lauren Asbury, Casey Neville, Aaron Hahn, Alexis Enix, Amanda Carraher, Justine Paganhart, Jackie Cunningham, Alex Weisling, Ellen Doolittle, Paige Burton, Jessica Craig, Becca Holsworth, Amy LaHosset, Amanda Augustiniak, and Dorothy Kleiber. Wow, that is an amazing list of talented female athletes who have played at Marietta College. While there have been many individual success stories, the most recent team success is women's basketball. The Pioneers won their first OAC tournament championship in 2017-2018 behind the play of All-American Amisha Hurd and All-Conference standout Brooke Borich. That earned the team a spot in the NCAA tournament. Then this past season, the 2021-22 campaign, the basketball team finished third in the OEC, but their overall play was so impressive that they earned an at-large bid and won the program's first NCAA game by defeating Wittenberg 65-50. Merida lost the next game to eventual national champion, Hope College. Coaching both of those teams was Cole Vivian, who took over the program during the 2016-17 season. I came in here at a pretty good time. I mean, when when I got hired in 2016, um, the roster was a little bit older. We, me and Coach Schreier, we had four years recruiting, getting getting the right kind of people in here. So um, when I was able to get, to get hired, those I think we had a pretty good talent on the team. They they just didn't kind of know how to put it all together at that point. And then Amisha and Brooke and Coach Anderson now and you know Barker. Um, they helped us kind of build build a, a lot towards that, and uh, we started off the year really good that year, and then we kind of went through some growing pains a little bit with that, and then the team kind of came came together with that. We finished the year really well, so we kind of knew that next year. I mean, it was it was definitely on. We brought only 
we, there's a couple of kids we're kind of counting on in that freshman class. We want everybody else to, to, to kind of grow up for, so from them to be mature and that's it. When Amisha was a senior and, and, and they were all seniors in 17, 18, that wasn't, we won a lot of games, but that was still a pretty tough year. I mean, there was just a lot of things. Everybody was kind of coming for us. We we're kind of learning, you know, how to, how to, how to, you know, finish off games and finish off a season. So, um, yeah, that team was really driven towards it. Last year was a little bit different. I mean, last year, everybody that was on that 17-18 team was gone. So even, like, the you know, the freshmen on that team, they, they were all gone. So it was, a, it was a brand new kind of, you know, cast of, of a team. And they just grinded every single day to be able to, to keep getting better. Then you kind of wake up one day and you're, you know, 15-1 and one and, um, you know, ranked, ranked you know, 16 in the nation, the highest we've ever, ever been. And then teams started kind of coming for us a little more. We didn't kind of finish the year quite how we wanted to with the OEC portion of it. But then uh, getting that getting that at-large bid kind of based on our body of work was was really special. And then winning, winning that, that tournament game, that's something that we kind of talked about the whole week, like, hey, no one's ever done this before. And, you know, Kate was really good. Jill was unbelievable with that. Kelsey was a senior or, or last year player. She was great. And then Devin, too, uh, with it. So it was nice to kind of do it five years apart. We had different people each time. But, like, each team was really driven, something that they were kind of working for the, the entire time. While the coaches and student-athletes appreciate all the advances in women's athletics over the past 50 years, they are all curious what the next 50 years might look like. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is definitely a conversation piece, you know, ways that we can continue to improve our own softball facility. And you're right, we, we do have a nice facility, but when you're looking at the growth of the program and you're looking at staying ahead of the game, I mean, turf is something that we need to have happen. And, you know, completing projects that hopefully would have been done previous years ago, you know, making our stadium of equal to others that are surrounding us within this campus. And that is something that has been continued conversations and getting more people on board to help with this, you know, is something definitely that our team needs and they want um, to be able to not do a tarp three days in a row, which we've done multiple times, putting the tarp on and off or to have to cancel a game 30 minutes prior to a game starting. I mean, taking away a lot of things that do greatly affect our student athletes and being able just to work around their academic schedules even better because we can, you know, practice outside and just there's so much into it to where turf brings such an easier way to help our student athletes. I would say that we are at a really good place as far as like Title IX and equity, but I'd like to see just this is kind of like a harder thing to me- measure, um, but something growing as far as like the women just really owning their space. Um, I don't feel like they aren't like pushed out in the boathouse or any in inequity there but I feel like that's something that like just I would like to instill in the team more of even more so just owning their space and just being living in the boathouse and not living but like just really spend a lot of time there and just owning their athleticism and embracing it Um, because you see a lot of a lot of high school athletes uh, female high school athletes choose not to go on to athletics in college for whatever reason and there are a bunch of theories on that but I'd love to see that not be as prominent and to just really see the young women embracing their their athleticism their strength and just owning owning the space uh, specifically the boathouse with the rowing team but just in general as well 
I think the biggest thing is, so when you talk about lacrosse, you have lacrosse and then women's lacrosse. That women's part, I think, is tied on to a lot of the female sports. I think it's definitely diminished. You could say we're both lacrosse teams, but it's also very prevalent, too, that I am a women's lacrosse coach. Um, I'd love to get to a point in 50 years where... I'm a head lacrosse coach. You know, I don't have to put that women's part. Um, you know, part of how I see the department and, and my colleagues, John Vanderwall, Brian Brewer, like I don't look at them as men's coaches. I look at them as coaches. Um, you know, what people look at me, if I'm a women's coach, that's okay for right now. But I want to get to a point where I'm a coach and that my players are not female athletes. They are athletes. So I think just having a very wide understanding of just sports. You know, there is no gender with sport. It's just, you know, you're an athlete and you're respected because of that. So I think that that's really how I've framed my mind um, and what I share to my athletes. So to get a bigger understanding of more people who think like that would be progress for me um, in the next 50 years. I'm really thankful for what Title IX has been able to do for sports and for women in sports. Um, Again, you know, I know in some of the things that I've read that there's there's still situations out there where things aren't equitable. And so I think maybe the biggest thing would just be, you know, to see that to continue to move forward and things being more equitable. Um, just one example, there was, and I don't know where this was for sure, but it was a high school softball team, and they were having to change some in the parking lot and carry their equipment bags around all day at school because they had to go to a field to practice and play that wasn't even on the campus, the high school campus. And meanwhile, the men, the boys' baseball team had this really nice baseball field. You know, everything was right there. And so they ended up you know, taking it to the board, and the board agreed, and now this school has a facility there. So, you know, just things like that, just to continue to fight for that in sports. And honestly, not just in sports, because Title IX isn't just about sports. You know, it's about education. So continue to see that, too, uh, in education, you know, and more opportunities for females, you know, seeing females officiating professional football games and basketball games and, you know, things like that, just to continue to make that progress. And I guess just never totally be satisfied with where things are, but make those small steps. I would love to see women and all athletes appreciating the fact that they have the opportunity and not taking it for granted. I would love for them to be respecting the sport, respecting the coaches and the laws of the game. Uh, they were developed for reasons, and they're there what makes the game better. And I would hope that as these athletes become better physical specimens to play the game, that they also understand how the game got here, whichever game it is, and why it's here, and don't take it for granted. Just make it better Make it better with your team. Make it better as your teammates. Make it better because you are a part of the game and do something. Don't know what it is. I mean, who's going to guess what's going to be the next obstacle that we have to encounter? But whatever that next obstacle is, if it's not right, don't just sit around and accept it. Figure out what needs to be changed. And then take it 
a respectful, aggressive stance? Well, uh, I'll say this. You know, if you talk to our current student athletes, for the most part, I think they feel like things are equitable. I, I don't really think there's a sense that, well, the men have this and the women don't, or the women have this and the men don't. I, I think there's... Like, they don't even really get Title IX. The current athletes, they don't get it at all. And I think that says something, that we've done some things right, that they don't get it, you know, right? Um, but there's still more to be done, and, uh, and we have to always, you know, think about that. I mean, when, you're, when we're hiring coaches, I mean, this is one of my pet peeves. Um, I just really think it's so important to try to have women coaches coaching women's sports when possible. I think having those role models is just tremendous. And, uh, and so that's an area where I think across the board, we, we, meaning across the country, we need to do better. There's, there's just too many situations where men are coaching women and there are qualified women that could be filling those positions. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast, Leveling the Playing Field as Merida College celebrates the 50th anniversary of Title IX. To learn more about upcoming events or to read stories related to our celebration, please visit www.marietta.edu slash title-ix-celebration. If you are interested in supporting women's athletics, please consider making a financial gift today at www.marietta.edu slash give.